Welcome to Hearts of Fire, the podcast for the team at Biobridge Global. We're working every day to save and enhance lives through the healing power of human cells and tissue. And now, sitting in for Adrian Mendoza is our special guest host, Kimberly Monroe. Well, good morning or afternoon or evening, whatever time you're listening. This is Kimberly Monroe. I am business development manager for the tissue program at South Texas Blood and Tissue. And I have the absolute privilege of sitting in for your regular host of Hearts of Fire, Adrian Mendoza. And I am beyond excited to be here today with Susan Smith. Hey, Susan. Hey, Kimberly. Happy hump day because it is a Wednesday, y'all. Yes. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? I'm awesome. Thrilled to be here. Me and you both. Um, so Susan is manager for our Grief Support and Life Legacies program, which is a program that is so near and dear to my heart. And we're just going to get to know Susan a little bit today and talk about all the spectacular work that she does here at South oh, Texas. Thank you. So let me start by asking you, how long have you been around this place? Around this place? I have been here for 14 years. That is a long time. It is a long time. And you've done a little bit of everything. I have done a little bit of, yes. Okay, give us a brief on, what's the rundown on what you've done? Oh my Lord, how much time do we have? Not not much, much. right? (laughs) Okay, Um, when I was hired, I was brought in to manage the volunteer program, recreate it. Also worked with our employee wellness program. I run the United Way campaign worked with boot camp situations, and then seven years ago, I was recruited, so to speak, by the tissue director at that time to come and manage the new grief support program that uh, we had acquired from UTSA. Okay, so tissue was not always a part of the service offerings here when you first... Not initially because we never even had a tissue bereavement program until 2015. Okay, wow. Okay, so before we talk about how you got here, tell me a little bit about how you got to work in bereavement. How I got there. How did you get there? All right, uh, that's an interesting story. I, um, I think as most people have experienced numerous death losses as I was growing up, um, to include my dad's parent. I had a really good friend who died in a motorcycle accident. Uh, when we were in high school, and I had known him since kindergarten. When I went to college, I had a really good friend who was diagnosed with cancer, watched him die. But I truly think in hindsight, the defining moment for me was, for those of you who might remember, November 1978, specifically the 18th of November, when um, the Jonestown massacre happened, the People's Temple, and I had three cousins who were absolutely core to the temple, i.e. one was Jim Jones's mistress and their son. The other one was Jim Jones's personal nurse. So the only two people who did not die by poisoning were my cousin Annie and Jim Jones because she shot him and then she shot herself. And at that time, I was away from home at college for the first year and I had no one to talk to about this. Um, it was pretty devastating, still is, especially 40 some years later, I can still hear the phrase drinking the Kool-Aid and it takes me back to that day in a heartbeat. So as I mentioned in hindsight, I think truly that's when the seed was planted that I wanted to get into bereavement work because I didn't want anybody else to do the grief journey alone. 
And then moving forward from that, um, I was born in Arizona, moved to California when I was three, went to my undergrad at UC Davis, woohoo Aggies, uh, moved back to Southern California, got a master's degree in child development, child life, which is a profession that uh, we help children and their families in hospital settings um, deal with the stress and trauma of hospitalization. So I moved here to San Antonio in 1991 for the infamous two years. And I'm not good at math, but I know it's way longer than two years. So at Santa Rosa Children's Hospital, I ended up working with mostly the kiddos who had cancer with their families, ended up being a hospice liaison during that time. And one of my colleagues, due to a personal death loss in her life, her brother died leaving behind a four-year-old son, she went on to found and establish the Children's Bereavement Center. I worked there for almost 10 years as a grief support group facilitator, community liaison. And during that time, I became aware of the South Texas Blood and Tissue Center through what is known then as the BEST Committee, mm -hmm. Bereavement Education and Support Task Force. So through that committee, I did programs here. I also was part of a planning committee for a citywide um, grief support conference. And then that step-by-step -step led me to where I am now. Wow, that wow. is quite it's a journey, quite a yes. journey. Yeah. Um, you know, interestingly enough, uh, first of all, I know it's been a long time, but my condolences for you. your family's loss, because if there's one thing I know is that grief is, is a journey. And it doesn't matter how long it's been since the loss occurred. You're at different points in that journey, depending on where you, what age and stage you are in your life. Right. And especially to have an event that is so public, I can only imagine um, things that are put out, whether it's a new movie or a new documentary at any time that can make those memories resurface. I appreciate you saying that. I was actually thinking today to sort of go off track a little bit with Hurricane Ian happening right now going back, you know, for those of us here in South Texas with the Uvalde shooting, so much attention is focused on the actual event. Grief goes on so much longer than the actual event. Um, and the term that I've used, and you've heard me say this, are other activating events, because grief is never a singular event. There are always um, rippling effects around that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your, you, you, you chronicled your experience, mm -hmm. you chronicled what led you here. Why is it that you believe <laughs> that grief support and grief work is so important? In general? In general. In general. Um, absolutely. We all, all of us experience grief. No one is immune. And when I say grief, my specialty is death loss grief experiences. But grief is around us all the time. I mean, pick a freeway that you drive in. I don't know about y'all. I had grief today because I can't see because of the sun. Um, but for death loss grief, we all experience it, yet society as a whole is very much grief denying. It's like, they're okay if you grieve for, you know, the three days, but then you get saying, it's okay, you need to be strong. Don't cry. Move on, at least. And therefore, the grief that you're working through gets pushed down. And the more it keeps getting pushed down, at some point, it's going to explode. So to me, it's important to let folks know they're not alone. 
um, this is a universal experience. Mm -hmm. And to speak to that universal experience, um, in particular when it comes to donor families, it's a it's a pretty interesting, unique club, if you will, mm -hmm. to be in, because not only have you experienced that death loss, but also there is, in my opinion, the hope that comes with the idea that your loved one has been able to help someone through the gift of donation. Correct. Can you talk a little bit about what services our Grief Support and Life Legacies Program offers to tissue donor families? I will. But before I get into that, I also want to say for those of you who know me, because I've been here for so long, we talk so much about our blood donors, marrow donors, cord blood donors. They're all fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. When it comes to tissue, uh, my experience has been we hear a lot about tissue products and fabulous. They make huge impacts in the lives of the recipients they go to. However, not much is said about the donor. Because as you mentioned, and I don't know if everybody listening to this knows that in order to be a tissue donor, a death has to occur. A death has to occur. So these tissue products come from such a gracious, gracious, precious gift of our donors and those donor families at probably one of the worst times in their lives. And the fact that they have the presence of mind, the ability emotionally to give that gift Correct. On what is likely one of the most devastating days of Correct. their life. And the hopes, as you mentioned, that their loved one will live on in some form in another person. Mm -hmm. So now back to the question. <laughs> uh, programs and services. When I started, we did, back in the day, remember back in the day, we did in-person grief support programs, not only for our families here in San Antonio, at that time, also Laredo and in the um, Valley. And over the years, Things have evolved, and then thanks COVID, um, the last couple of years we've had to go to virtual programs, which on the one hand made me sad, and I've talked to the families who came to groups because when you're grieving that in-person, that physical touch is so important. However, it also enabled us to broaden our scope of service wider as we created a Facebook group for our tissue donor families we created an electronic newsletter. Uh, we've had more presence now on our website. So even out of that um, really tough time, good things have come. Absolutely. And to talk about, you know, expanding the scope and the reach of our program, we have a very large service area. And not to mention there are times when some of our donors, their families are not native to Texas, Correct. They don't live in our service area. And so to be able to provide an opportunity for them to participate in those programs is just, it's amazing um, Correct. What, what you've helped to build oh. in, in, the, in that you know, difficult time. Um, what would you say, you have, well, let me back up. You have a really unique role in this organization because not only do you do this fabulous and much needed work with our tissue donor families, but you also help to coordinate a lot of the really cool fun stuff that we get to do around here. You know, I think about um, things that come up around the holidays or fall festival. Um, you create opportunities for our organization to have visibility and to help our community through like the United Way campaign and Camp Discovery. Um, you give us a chance to flex our competitive spirit during Corporate <laughs> Cup. Cup. What, what can you say about the impact of our work in the community as an organization. As an organization, I see the work I do here to create engagement 
with our employees, our employees in the community, because we make such an impact in the community, all aspects of South Texas and BioBridge and all the other affiliates. Um, and I also want to bring some fun. That's the other thing with grief. I want folks to know it's not always everybody sitting around, oh my God, I'm so sad. I'm crying. I just blah. You can have fun. You can laugh. Remember those folks who have died. Um, and also on the, with the grief support side of things with these events is to engage the families to know they're not alone. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, we had our annual remembrance celebration this year for the first time in person since 2019. And to see that room full of families who finally get to meet other donor families, um, give big hugs, nice. all of those things. What did that feel like to be able to bring that back after some, you know, a couple of years? If you could see my face right now, um, it, it made my heart happy. And to be able to give hugs to people I've only talked to on the phone, uh, for them to interact with each other. And then the other cool thing for me that is here, and I don't know how many people know about this, is the Legacy Garden outside of the donor pavilion, uh, which was created for our tissue donor families. And it too has evolved into um, a place where anybody who's had a loss can leave a memento. But our families got to go there and experience that. And that's something that's a communal aspect. They come and help us every year, replant it, rejuvenate it. So again, it's it's that sense of community, which I think as a whole with BBG in South Texas, that's what we're striving to do, connecting hearts. Connecting hearts, absolutely. So speaking of that, let's talk about a couple more things. Yep. Um, the first is the giving tree. And I was, fortunate enough to be able to participate in my first giving tree when I got here in 2019. Can you talk a little bit about historically what the giving tree has been and what it will be this year? Okay. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. Uh, the inaugural giving tree was in 2015 and that was the first year that I was involved with the tissue department and it at that time was a collaborative event with ourselves, TOSA, Texas Organ Sharing Alliance, the San Antonio iBank, and it gave us all an opportunity to come together because we can have shared donors to give our donor families an opportunity to honor and remember their loved ones by um, creating ornaments, which we then had them come and hang on a tree at that time at Ingram Park Mall. So over the years, that event continued to evolve. More people came to the event. And then in 2020 again thanks covid we had to totally revamp what we were doing so we did a virtual event instead of actual ornaments we did gift tags which we hung on the tree we continued that to a different extent last year and as a side note over the years when the ornaments that have been placed on the tree since 2015 um, the families had an opportunity to come collect them some never did and the organization that was holding on to them said, we don't have space, so we're gonna throw them away. I said, mm-mm, I will take them. So I actually have in my storage area ornaments from 2015, and then you and I started talking about how can we display these ornaments at the same time, increase awareness amongst our staff about our tissue donor families and the gifts that they have given. So I'm thrilled to say that this year, um, we are gonna highlight that. The giving tree, instead of being at a mall here in town, is going to be here in the donor pavilion lobby. It will be adorned with ornaments that feature our tissue donors. 
And then we will also have smaller trees in each of our fixed sites with ornaments from years past. And I'm thrilled that that will bring two things, awareness to our staff of our tissue donors and also awareness to our tissue donor families potentially of the other services that we offer here because a lot of our families are blood donors as well. And it's an amazing opportunity for those who come to our fixed yes. sites or come to DP to give blood to know that there's another way that they can help um, save Correct, help correct. Yeah, so to Absolutely. go back to that, you know, connecting heart. Absolutely. And uh, so one last thing that I'm so excited about this one, um, let's talk a little bit about the Donate Life Rose Parade floats. Okay. Um, it's been several years since I've been able to participate in this. The first couple times I was involved was when I was working in iBanking. Um, interestingly enough, with my current director, we worked together previously. It, it's an opportunity to, on a national scale, highlight donation. Um, the Rose Parade is one of the <laughs> premier national events that people view every year around New Year's Day. So can you talk a little bit about what the Rose Parade float is and how we will be honoring a tissue donor um, in 2023? Okay, have to take one quick step back because growing up in Southern California, my aunt actually lived on the Rose Parade route. Awesome. So every year she would come to our house because she didn't want to be there for the Rose but I went to the Rose Parade numerous times. Um, but what's excited about the float is that this will be the 20th year that Donate Life America has had a float in the Rose Parade. And for those of you who might not know about the Rose Parade, all the floats in the parade need to be made of organic materials. So with this 20 year, and there will be information on 1BBG, which we'll talk more about the float, but they have, remind me if I'm um, correct or not on this, Kimberly, they have writers on the float who are recipients of either tissue, organ, or corneas. Then they have what's called florographs, which are basically portraits of deceased donors, be it, again, tissue, cornea, or organ. And we are both thrilled that this year one of our tissue donors, his name um, is Asante, is going to be honored with a florograph. And it's, on the float. it's so awesome because you've got to think you've got your recipients, you have your um, living donors, which are typically kidney donors that mm -hmm. participate as well. And then you also have a way to honor those uh, deceased donors as well. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful spectacle to see this float, you know, constructed of all of these organic materials, but to also know that you know, you've got families across the country that, you know, who won't be in Pasadena, but those who may be at Correct. home watching can get to see their uncle, cousin, brother, loved one, special Never. person honored in such Correct. an amazingly beautiful way. And I can't tell you how excited I am that we will be able to bring that to one of our donor families. And the other thing about that is to combine that with the giving tree, with each of our giving trees, both here at the pavilion and each of the fixed sites, there will be um, an information sheet on Asante with a link to the parade and also a link to how to become a registered donor. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I just want to thank you so much for this conversation and um, for highlighting just how important it is to, as you always say, give our tissue donors a, a voice. So I just want to say one more thing about another event that we did this year that Oh, makes my heart so happy. Over the years, I have had during Dia de los Muertos time, um, altars set up here and had been, and you know this because I think it was last year, I said, Kimberly, they do this downtown. We need to do this downtown. Well, guess what we did this year? 
we had an altar at Huertos Fest. That's so so awesome. that's another way that we get to honor our tissue donor families. And, and I think that's so amazing because it's it's in such a um, regional, culturally specific way. You know, yeah. being from South Florida and moving here, I was vaguely familiar with um, Dia, Dia the de los Muertos. Um, but to, to, to have moved to San Antonio and to see what a, a humongous deal it is in this community and throughout this region, I think it was just another fantastic way for us to be able to yeah. honor donors and our families. And to see all these new events happening this year, wait for it. I can't wait to see what will be in 23. Awesome. Boom, I'll be here all year. <laughs> Well, thank you so much again. This was such an amazing conversation and um, keep doing what you do. You, we, you're such a treasure here. Oh, thank and you. so this thank was you. awesome for me to be able to have this. Thank you. It's been my honor to be here. And just a couple things as we go for those of us who are grieving, and I include myself in this because again, I'm not immune. Honor your struggle, hold space with yourself, be good to yourself and know that you're not alone. Send in love and hugs to all. I don't think there's anything else for me to say. I'm way over my time. <laughs> Thanks, Susan. Thanks, Kimberly. Executive producers of Hearts of Fire are Heather Hughes and Jay Pajinski. Your director is David King, with technical assistance from Matt Flores. Our logo was designed by Roberto Esquivel. Our host is Adrian Mendoza. If you have an idea for Hearts of Fire, please feel free to email us, heartsoffire at biobridgeglobal.org.